Hello, everyone, and welcome to Decoding Cannabis. Two episodes ago, I spoke to Lacey, and we spoke about her taking Consciously High. Um, and we wanted to talk about autism as well. Lacey is um, helping, working with autistic kids. And I wanted to hear a lot about that. And she wanted to hear about my perspective on cannabis and autism. And uh, so that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, but we're also going to catch up a little bit and see how she's doing with Consciously High, the 28-day program with which we regain command over the use of cannabis. Um, so let's begin. Hello, Lacey. Hello, Erez. How are you? I'm good. It's good to see you. So before we start talking about autism, I want to talk a little bit about Consciously High, about your uh, cannabis break, because today you're in your last day. Yes, I am. So that means that as of tomorrow, you can start smoking cannabis again. And so I'd love to hear, first of all, how's the program for you? And second, what's your plan going forward? The program has been amazing. I really don't think I would have been able to do this without the information that you're providing all of us, honestly, truly. Um, I hope you know how impactful it is. Um, sometimes, and, sometimes, I yeah. do, sometimes I do, but thank you. Thanks for yeah. saying that. Um, you know, it's weird because tomorrow I can smoke pot, but I don't think I'm gonna. And so <laughs> that's really weird for me. Um, I'm excited to be really intentional about it. I'm excited to see how much more I enjoy it, um, you know, by being so intentional and it being, you know, a treat or, you know, something that doesn't happen every day like it used yeah. to. Yeah. Um, I definitely have noticed, like I can read better. I can read faster and stay focused. I can, I can meditate easier. I find myself enjoying other things more like baths and tea and trying new hobbies like Sudoku. I've picked that up and things I just wouldn't, I wouldn't be enjoying as much. And so, yeah, I'm grateful for that. It's pretty cool. Uh, more energy. Yeah. I haven't been sleeping very well the last few nights. So apart from those days, <laughs> um, yeah, how is the sleep? Because you were using, uh, listening to something as you were going to sleep in order to fall asleep. How's your sleep? It's good. I also have back issues that I'm dealing with right now. So okay. that's uh, back tension issues. <laughs> um, and so that's what's been keeping me awake. But yeah, the, yeah, listening to a good um, bedtime podcast, I highly recommend. I think for anyone who can't sleep, yeah. Definitely doesn't have to be people who are trying to come off cannabis or anything else. It's just, I think it's a good life hack. <laughs> you know, with, with these kind of benefits, don't rush to smoke again. And I got to tell you, I'll give you an advice because that's okay. you know something I've learned and I've seen with other people. Sometimes just because we can, the desire comes up. But 
don't just smoke because you can't. Wait for the right opportunity. Don't waste it because that first time after we take a long break is really meaningful. And, you know, the longer you wait and the more special it'll be, make sure you have enough time to enjoy it. And be mindful. Be mindful of the fact that you've decided, yeah, I'm doing it now. As opposed to, you know, I remember this one time I did a really long break and then I was able to smoke. And uh, a few days later, an evening came and I was just like, oh, maybe I'll smoke. Oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And then the desire kind of popped because the possibility was there. And I was like, should I smoke today? Yeah, you know, but because I said it, it started popping in my head. And then I did. And it was just like, really, oh, I missed that opportunity to really enjoy it. And I sort of, you know, I didn't really have enough time to enjoy it. I had to go to sleep early because I had to wake up early. And it was just kind of a waste. So savor it. So, okay, so are you saying that the desire kind of is what led you to do it rather than intentionally deciding that the you- The possibility of smoking created desire because it's the thought of it, you know, oh, I can do it really. Oh, maybe I should do it tonight. Oh, should I? Oh, well, I have to get up early tomorrow. But because I was thinking about the possibility, then the desire woke up and then I was like- yeah okay, I want it. I want it, you know, but it was false desire. It was just desire because I could, it wasn't gotcha. real, a place of real. Yeah. It's the right time. So do you think it would be a good exercise maybe for the first time that happens to definitely not to kind of put it off? I think that you have to really, um, be in touch with yourself on why the reason why do you want to smoke that time? If you okay. feel like it's coming from a place of intuition, a place of like, oh yeah, this would, it's the right time, the right place. I mean, you already know that you can go without it and you know that you have benefits. The longer you you push that, the better. And when you smoke, you know, just make sure you're doing it because it feels, um, how should I put it? You're not smoking because you can, but you're smoking because there's a place in you that truly feels like it's the right thing to do. Does that make sense? It does. Yeah, and to not smoke because I want to numb something. I don't want to smoke because, you know, I'm frustrated with my kids or with something. I I don't want that to be the reason I smoke either. Yeah. Yeah. So I can't quite tell you, hey, don't smoke for the first time you want to smoke just because... You right. know, first time, but make sure that the reason you want to smoke is a real true place of intuition rather than just a place of like, oh, I can do it and I kind of want to, you know? Right. So, and knowing and knowing that that's where it'll go, that that's how the process works. Yeah. That once you consider it, desire will most likely follow and still yeah. not a done deal. Yeah. I do yeah. find I do find that there, you know, the inner adult, inner child work. It was just fascinating when I wrote um, when I wrote the letter, you know, from the inner child versus the inner adult, and reading them back, just two completely different. Wow, two completely I, I different. don't want to ask you to read them, but you know, you probably don't have them on you. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I probably do. My inner adult one, I was angry. I was a little angry. I was a little. I was very um, critical of my inner child. Yeah. Um, I was a little mean <laughs> yeah. and I can tell my, 
I feel like in my inner adults a little worried to smoke for the first time again. I think it's, I think I'm a little nervous about losing control. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of something I'm like, oh, that's interesting. But, but yeah, I really, I don't have much of a desire at all right now, but obviously today it's not really an option. So yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. So yeah, I mean, if you're willing to share, I would love it. So, so for the listeners, the whole inner adult, inner child is a process in the final week of the cannabis break in which we renegotiate, it's like we negotiate a truth between the inner child and the inner adult, the inner child being the portion of you that just wants to smoke all the time. It's like a child. It's like, oh, children always want, want to play. They always want more fun and so on and so forth. And so the exercise is to have the inner child write their list of demands. It's like, oh, I want to smoke on my birthday and I want to smoke on the weekend and I want to smoke on this and I want to smoke on that. And then the inner adult write their list of demands. And then there's another phase where the inner adult has to create the balance between the two, just like in life. And so it sounds like this exercise was very powerful for you. It was. Yeah, I have it pulled up. I don't know if I'll read it word for word, but I will definitely share. Um, my inner child says, leave me alone. <laughs> um, you never let me just be lazy without treating me like shit, which is true. Um, I've found it kind of really made me see, you know, it, I feel like it really magnified um, like the way I talk to myself is not very nice. You know, my inner adult is not very nice to my inner child. You know, like if I'm laying around and being lazy, I, I really don't do that without also, you know, shaming myself about doing that. Yeah. Or, you know, if I don't get something accomplished, I, you know, I'm just not very kind. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot about controlling, stop controlling me or trying to control me or letting things go. <laughs> My inner child was like, just let shit go. That's hard. Um, you know, you shame me and make me feel small and unimportant. Wow. That kind of stuff. Um, Amazing what we do to ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, and then let's see. Oh, and I, I said, stand up for me, love me, prioritize me and listen to me because, you know, I, I love kids. I love kids. I think more than I love adults. And I know that I have to be a part of kid. My life has to have kids in it forever. My kids are growing up and I find myself kind of panicking. I don't have access to kids all the time. So, um, and it just kind of made me recognize that I don't even, you know, I have a kid inside me and I don't even really listen very much oh, wow. so that's definitely where my inner child took control for sure i can tell you this Lacey. i've seen it again and again and again when we are super critical with the inner child when we're you know hard with her or him they rebel and mm -hmm. a big piece of the cannabis abuse the lack of moderation comes from that place. And so the second, imagine in real life when an adult goes to a child and says, oh, do you want to play? Oh, of course we're going to play. Of course we're going to, but it's not the right time right now. We're going to do that tomorrow. 
versus no, you've been playing too much and you always want to play and we're just not going to play for a while. You know, it's a whole different feeling. The, the only thing the child's going to want to do in that moment is to play. Mm-hmm. And so I think that this work that you're doing, and, you know, thank you for sharing, by the way, is mm-hmm. very powerful because it will allow you to shed some of that rebellious, you know, uh, tendency that is actually causing the overuse of cannabis. Do you think that our inner adult is really just a compilation of the way adults treated us when we were kids? I kind of feel like mine is. Yeah, well, that's the example we got. So we don't really have a different way of doing it. Right. So for most people, I think you're absolutely right. We reflect the attitude and behavior patterns that we have learned in childhood because that's the only way we know how to be adults and for those of us who do the personal work and develop ourselves we get to this point where we can actually um how should i put it we can actually um be kind to ourselves or you know change the way we we behave with ourselves and then it creates a whole different situation it creates a situation where we because we, we, we can be whoever we want we don't have to be that same individual that we've learned how to be and so right. this is exactly here it's like what you read is re the re-education of the self to mm-hmm. be nicer to a different part of you absolutely mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, I guess this is probably a good segue into autism because I I'm highly sensitive. I always have been. And I found that in my letter to my inner child from my adult, it was very critical. It was very like, gosh, why are you so much? Why are you (laughs) just chill, (laughs) just simmer down? And I feel like as have you ever heard of the term highly sensitive person? Yeah. Yeah. So I always really felt like there was something wrong with me just my whole life. Um, and then my son was born and he is also highly sensitive. And I kind of always just got this feeling that there's just something about him that people reject. Just, I don't know. It's, it's just the weirdest thing. And I came up upon this book um, called, I think it was Strong Sensitive Boy. And my mind was just blown and it got me into discovering this whole world. And I was reading myself in this and I couldn't believe that all these different things about me had like an explanation. Wow. And yeah, it was really, really, yeah. And so going to write that down strong sensitive boy can you i i love that you always recommend books for us i know <laughs> i books have changed my life i cannot even begin to can't even i yeah books have, there's so many books and amazing people that have changed my life and so yeah but yeah strong sensitive boy i'm pretty sure is what it's called i don't remember the author uh, but okay. Yeah. Last, last time we were talking, you also recommended two books and I wanted to write them down so I could put them in the notes and then I didn't. And yes. you know, then, then going I, back yeah, and actually finding the place is almost impossible unless you listen yeah. to the whole thing. Yeah. 
yeah, I can tell, yeah, afterwards I can remind you of those if you want. Um, but it just kind of talks about how, especially in American culture, that trait is not really appreciated the way that it should be, you know, it's kind of, um, I'm going to throw out another book, but Glennon Doyle and Untamed, she says that, you know, they're the type of people that are on the top, on the front of the Titanic and saying, ah, look, there's a problem ahead. Yeah. And everyone else is like, oh, we don't want to stop dancing. You know, they're below deck saying, we don't want to stop dancing. And I definitely feel like that is my role in the world. <laughs> I can point out the not so, not so cozy truths and, you know, and especially as a child, you know, I'd voice my opinion, I'd have strong reactions and yeah. just kind of felt, ooh, wrong. Like, oh, I'm wrong. And so in my letters to myself, I felt like that was, that was a theme. That was a theme. Yeah. yeah. And so I find myself, and I don't know why, but I find myself relating to uh, autistic people in a way because of that. And I don't know if it's because I've kind of felt othered in life for, yeah. you know, being sensitive and, you know, autistic people are pretty sensitive. Yeah. Um, and kind of just, you know, don't fall in line as much. Don't, you know, don't respond to shame and guilt the way everyone else does. Right, right. Um, so autism is tricky because when we talk about autism, when we look for the definition of autism, there's really no definition. There's no. a list of symptoms and the DSM-5 is just, you know, used to be full of symptoms. And then they realized that the uh, plethora of, of symptoms is just like so wide and sometimes completely com conflicting because you have autistics, uh, you know, who are, uh, you know, don't want people to touch them. And then you have autistics who really thrive on touch. And then you have autistics who uh, can't talk at all. And then you have autistic who can't stop talking. And so there's all these conflicting, you know, uh, um, phenomena. And it's super hard to set a little, what is autism, right? I mean, we, as an intellectual community, science hasn't figured out yet what autism is. Oh, it's a developmental disorder. I disagree. I don't think it's a disorder. I think it's a, um, it's an edge of a spectrum. But I think that just because autistic people are not experiencing reality like normal people, it doesn't mean that it's a developmental disorder. I think that we have a problem learning how to communicate and educate autistic children. And therefore some kind of a deficiency in learning is being developed, but it's not because of a developmental disorder. It's because of us the men typicals i call us the men the, you know i call them the men typical because i consider myself with a with a touch of autism um you know they 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 just the world the world you know expects you to be able to read and write if you're dyslexic and the letters just jump every time you look at the paper you're just not going to be normal and then oh you have 
a developmental disorder. No, you don't. You just happen to to have a different set of skills and a different set of superpowers. And so right. when we talk about Hebrew metaphysics, when we talk about the uh, the you know the set of you know the body of knowledge that I study and teach, mm-hmm. there is a very clear explanation of what autism is. And if you look behind me on the screen, uh, I, I know it's 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 in Hebrew, but if you look, you'll see that there's you know it, it, it's a round spectrum, which of course you can also draw it as a, a standard deviation. That is, you know, like like a reverse, like a bell, a bell curve, right. basically. Mm-hmm. And you can see that right in the middle, there's there's this you know sphere, and then in the middle, there's this range that is marked in yellow. And I'll move a little bit so you can see the whole thing. Um, that is the range of autism, and so everything in the middle is meant typicals. And the when you get to the edges of the spectrum from both sides, we're talking about autism. When autistic people, I call them sensitoids because we are sensitive and there is an infinite spectrum of that sensitivity. But one thing that is common to everybody who's either on, you know, within the what we call the autism spectrum or at the edge of it or touching it a little bit, maybe like me and you, is that we're all sensitoids. Why? because there is no autism spectrum. There is only human consciousness spectrum. And those at the edge of that spectrum in terms of their perception of time, because time really is the key here to understand autism, are experiencing a heightened sensitivity in terms of their senses. That's it. And so you have that infinite scale of how sensitive we are. And because human consciousness is polarized, you have two types of autistics, but I'm already going into a lot more than I, you know, I, at first I wanna hear from you about, about autism, but you know, obviously I have a lot to say about it, so. Oh yeah, I, I, I wanna know so much about it. Like I, I do think that my, you know, whatever I do in life, will for sure have to do with this. I find myself infinitely curious about it. Everything you just said, I, I know to be true. Um, the term perfectly normal, I hate. <laughs> uh-huh. I heard that the other day and I was like, oh, worst term ever, worst term ever. Because, you know, they may not be normal. And it's so funny that you say, cause that was kind of my armchair theory was, what if highly sensitive person is just a little bit autistic because I see myself in my clients more than I see myself in other people. I bet. I get them. Like I get it. They find so much joy out of just the smallest little things in life. They don't need all of, you know, the chaos and drama and, you know, they just have, it just seems like they have the ability to just be excited about just the little things. And I find it just insanely inspiring for sure. Um, So if it's a spectrum, what do you think is on the opposite side? Uh, Oh, question. I want you to tell me about your work, but I'll answer it first. So consciousness is polarized, which means 
and here's why. The whole idea, in order to understand what autism is, we need to understand what creates our perception of reality. When we study metaphysics, metaphysics of consciousness, there is a, a, a very interesting theory called time polarization theory or consciousness polarization theory that comes and says the following. It says, listen, we don't perceive reality. What creates our reality is not one mind. The mind does not create our perception of reality. It's two minds that create it. A male and female, a masculine and a feminine mind, yin and yang, empress and emperor. We spoke about that last time, right? Uh, uh, the, uh, the father and the Holy Spirit creating the sun, which is our consciousness, and so on and so forth. And I can give a lot of other names. In Hebrew, it's chokhmah and binah which is really intelligence and understanding or wisdom. It's, it's really hard to translate literally, but it's basically two separate minds. And these two minds function very differently. Only one of them is dominant at any particular moment. And for most people, one mind is more dominant than the other. Hence, we already know that even in the brain, the brain is physical, the mind is metaphysical, even in the brain, there's always one hemisphere that is more dominant than the other. Mm -hmm. Depends who you are. Some people the left, some people the right. Okay. Now, what's the difference between these two minds? Well, we're going to call one mind and we're going to call the other minus. The mind is active. The minus is passive. She's responsive. Whatever the mind does, she responds automatically. She responds to the environment, to the senses. Another difference is that the, the we'll start with the minus. The minus is always present in time. She happens in the future, in the present. In fact, she creates the present. She creates our sense of space, okay? Our perception of space by using the senses. If you'll notice, all your senses are always experienced in the present moment. You cannot sense anything earlier or later. When you sense right. it, you sense it now. Mm -hmm. All our senses are present in time, are happening in this instant. The mind, on the other hand, as opposed to the mindness, the mind thinks using words, not using, using senses. The mind thinks with words. If I tell you, hey, think about uh, the last time you ate pizza or the time before last that you ate pizza, you're going to start thinking, well, let's see, the time before last. You're thinking with words. And that's what the mind does. The mind is always in the past or the present. In fact, the second you start thinking, you're no longer present. That's why when we stop thinking, time disappears. Okay, When we don't think at all, Time simply disappears. Mm -hmm. Time is essentially an illusion created by the fact that the mind stretches the present moment using the words. When I speak, time must pass. And so it's our ability to think using words, the human ability to think using words, that is stretching time and gives us our perception of time. If the mindness creates the perception of space, the mind creates the perception of time. And so now that we know that, we can say, okay, so what's the deal with autism? It's kind of a long answer to a very short question, but here it is. 
So I call them in my book. I have a, an appendix about autism. I say my, uh, my book is called It's About Time. Um, I have it here, but I don't want to get up right now. So I'll show it to you later. But um, I, I speak about two types of people. People who are controlled by the mind, the mind is dominant, and people who, where the mindness is dominant. The mindness is, you know, so I, I took it from Hebrew. So I, I gave names for these people. People who are, the, where the mind is dominant, I call them smarties. People who, where the mindness is dominant, I call them wisies. Because the mindness is experienced through the senses and so what is wisdom? Wisdom is acquired through experience. You can be very smart, but you, you know, a lot of people are very smart, but have no wisdom. For example, a lot of people research cannabis under the microscope. They know a lot about the cannabinoids and the newer pathways and whatever it does, you know, but they've never smoked a joint in their life. So they lack wisdom. Wisdom is only acquired in the present moment using experience. And smarts is not. Smart is intellectuality. You can actually learn something, you know, using words. You're reading about it, you're speaking about it, so on and so forth. They're both needed. And so smarties and wisies. And so you have smarties autistics and wisies autistics. And now that you're dividing the two types of autistics, you can see the difference very clearly in this chaotic nature of the autistic spectrum is starting to make sense. You see that there's two types of autistics. There's the autistics who are usually very inward. They don't like to be touched. They're very highly sensitive when it comes to their involuntary senses, their hearing, their uh, sense of touch. Uh, they usually run cold. Uh, they suffer from a lot of anxiety usually. Uh, sometimes they talk a lot, sometimes they don't talk at all, and there's a reason for that, why they talk or don't talk, and we can talk about, uh, about that later or some other time, but when they talk, they talk fast, usually they have a hard time accessing their emotions, they are uh, slightly, their emotional intelligence is slightly, um, you know, not developed, and the reason for it is because they always think, their mind is always running, always analyzing, always thinking, always, 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 always. And so in order to have emotional intelligence, in order to have the language of emotions, you need to be very present in time. And they're not. They're think, always thinking about the future, always thinking about the past, always analyzing. And you see them, you know, like, oh, you know, standing in the room, maybe doing a lot of movements and so on and so forth. When I smoke super heavy sativa, I become a smarty autistic. Obviously, I'm a smarty in my general polarization, but I become a smarty autistic. I literally can start pacing around the room, talking to myself. My uh, uh, sense of touch becomes super sensitive. My shoulders start hunching. If you see an autistic with hunched shoulders, it's almost always know that they're smarty autistics uh, because hunched shoulders is a sign for anxiety. On the other that, hand, I feel like that's me. <laughs> that's you. Yeah, you're definitely a smarty. Of course, that's why you're digging my. That's why you're digging yeah. my shit. That's why you're digging my the, this knowledge. Yeah. And uh, even when you read the letter, you know you're you're reading it very uh, uh, as a matter of fact. And when you speak, when I look at you, the emotion 
is 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 inside you're feeling i'm sure you're feeling it but there's this you know and i recognize that from artistics that i work with and from myself i actually developed the expression the expression of emotion it's something that we can actually acquire and we have to work at it and there's techniques that i can tell you about to do that but i would definitely you know actually when you started saying it it all made sense to me because when i look at you i do see um i see that i i recognize that thing that i that i see in me as well that touch of autism um mm-hmm. as a smarty autistic does that resonate with you it does but reading your stuff i i couldn't tell if I, which side i was but other information i think other information was kind of um in there too but yeah i that makes sense yeah the way that you just yeah my my back ish is why that is why i'm having back issues it's that anxiety hunched over anxiety let's talk about why is he autistics because we have to okay. complete that puzzle right so why is he autistics usually are going to be very emotional and so they they're going to show their emotions um If smarty autistics are fiery in the mind and watery in the in the body, water in the body, that means usually uh, emotions of uh, watery emotions are usually anxiety, fear, things like that. Uh, why is the autistics are the opposite? They're uh, water in the mind, uh, fire in the body. And to translate that into more literal terms, um, they're more present in time and in fact sometimes they have a real hard time speaking they're a lot more from my experience they're a lot more uh wisey autistics who don't speak than smarty autistics usually they would thrive on touch or at least you know would like touch um you know you'd see a wisey autistic uh, uh on the floor in the supermarket screaming uh sometimes because they don't get what they want um a, a smarty autistic it literally the floor is going to be too cold you know or full with germs like it's just not you know it's not going to be something like are, are you going to spread on the uh, uh the floor of the supermarket and you know spread your do you know what i mean like yeah it's yeah um, and and why is the autistics sometimes have a hard time processing abstract labels and so for example um they're going to have a hard time distinguishing between a question and an answer and the reason is the difference between smarty autistics and wisey autistics is the perception of time wisey autistics are so present in time that their mind doesn't have their mindness is 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 ruling the mind doesn't have the time to process the literal meaning of of the word in the sentence by the time they get to the end of the sentence some, something that somebody says to them they forget the beginning Mm-hmm. and it's literally a, a function of memory and yet when it comes to being present they're super super present and their sensitivity their sensory sensitivity is usually in the voluntary senses as opposed to the involuntary senses that is the sense of taste um when they're touching something they really don't like uh and so on and so forth um mm-hmm. and so big difference between the two and the the attitude and the approach and the ways to uh alleviate some of the autistic symptoms in places where it's needed is going to be completely the opposite and of course if we're treating an autistic person with cannabis 
usually the opposite strain, you know, is going to be is going to be used. Most people with sativa strains, uh, the mind is actually sped up. The speed of the thinking mind, the literal thought, is being sped up. And with indica strains, uh, the mind slows down and the mindness takes over. And so, with most people, not everybody. So with a YZ autistic, most of them, if you if you give them indica-based strains, it could cause schizophrenic attacks. It could cause psychosis. It can cause even more because. It, it, it will eliminate the function of the mind that travels in time even further. And then the smarty autistics is the opposite. Give a smarty autistic, again, not all of them, but most of them, give them sativa, their autistic symptoms will worsen. And hmm. that's a fascinating thing to me. Yeah, that is fascinating. So my job doesn't, we don't obviously consider that sort of thing to my knowledge. Um, I'm a registered behavior technician and we use um, applied behavioral analysis to do therapy and teaching them. And again, it's very um, individualized for the person and what they need to work on and what their lifestyle is and um, what their specific challenges are. So, and obviously it also depends on if they're verbal or nonverbal. Um, an age. Um, so yeah, I, I have definitely seen that, you know, they can be introverted or extroverted. Um, some people just like to really just be to themselves and then others just really, you know, are so curious about any new person that comes in. And, um, so that's really interesting. The touch, like you said, some just hate being touched, don't touch me, and some love it. And, you know, that's, that's the reinforcer we work with, you know, is, um, you know, basically when they can understand the concept of, oh, I can ask for something and get it, then that's where we come in and say, oh, sure, you can have that first, do this, and, you know, kind of push them and um, teach them to do things that will help them adapt more into the world. Um, and it's pretty cool. You know, it can be, it can be, you know, kids if they start early enough and depending on the, um, how impacted they are, they can go through school and nobody even know a difference because they get this therapy and it can be pretty life-changing. That's amazing. That's amazing. Mm -hmm. uh, and something to notice is watch the autistic children and see who uses their eyes and who doesn't. Usually smarty autistics are not gonna look at you. They're gonna listen. They're gonna listen all the time, but they're not gonna be really using their eyes. It almost seems like they're not really looking. And again, I'm making yeah. a huge generalization. But why do I see you're nodding? Yeah. yeah, I've had some where eye contact is very difficult. Yeah. and. And yes, and that, that makes sense. Yeah. Maybe and the ones that like to learn, you know, based specific things about, um, you know, like moon phases or something like that and talk about those specific things and really get joy out of form almost. Uh -huh. Yeah. And then other ones that, you know, are, you know, great at eye contact and yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. you were finish your thought though. You were, uh, I think. Yeah, there's the one that's gonna be. You're gonna notice they're very present with whatever is happening, uh -huh. and they're definitely looking. Oh, what's this? Oh, what's that? But it's almost like the presence in time is almost too much because they're here. And now suddenly distracted them, something distracted them and they're here and they totally forgot what was going on there a second ago. It literally like never existed. And it's almost like their attention is just jumping from one place to another based on the stimuli, uh, the stimulation that they had. And it's, they're always present, but there, there's not necessarily a continuous thread of presence that travels in time uh, that is that is theirs. It's almost like they're they're very responsive to the environment and they know what they want, don't get me wrong. But does that make sense? Does that resonate what I'm saying? Yes. I've also noticed that some seem to be able to um I don't know, read or sense my sense intention. Yes. And that's, that's kind of crazy. I've definitely seen situations where I'm like, how did you know <laughs> that, you know, your mom was going to get something for you? Like, you know, gets mom gets up to go do get something doesn't say a word, but, but the child know like, is like looking expectantly knowing that mom's coming back for to get something for them and or me you know i'll get ready to do um to do a trial with them and they just you know cover their you know like they know <laughs> i'm about i'm about to do something and it's almost like they can sense my intention amazing yeah I, I, are you resonating with this division between smarty autistics and wisey autistics to some extent a little bit. I don't have too much. I haven't, I haven't met too many. Um, but yes, I am. It's a little, yeah, I'm, I feel like I'm beginning to understand it for sure. Yeah. The eye contact thing makes a lot of sense. The touch that makes a lot of sense. Um, I guess the verbal and nonverbal is the part you're going to have both on both sides and there's a okay. reason for that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that YZ autistics, um, it's more common to have nonverbal communication or at least difficulty communicating when it comes to abstract labels and abstract reasoning. When I say abstract reasoning, I mean, um, I think I've, I've given you the example of this parent with the, I think it's something that you've heard in one of my podcasts, right? Um, yeah. Yeah, the father from Pennsylvania, uh, mm -hmm. who told his daughter not to take the cookies to the room. By the time mm -hmm. she don't, uh, no cookies in the room. By the time she hears the word room, the word cookies, and the word no has already been forgotten. He says the word cookies. She sees cookies in her imagination. He says the word room. She sees the word room, but she doesn't have enough time to create the continuous sentence in her mind, and therefore there's no interaction when it comes to the meaning of the entire sentence. Right. Um, abstract reasoning, let's see, uh, how, do, how should I explain that? Um, there is, 
it's almost as if YZ autistics are extremely focused on the concrete experience. Oh, I want to eat this now. I want to play with this now. Uh, give me this. Don't touch that. Uh, you know, the concrete experience, everything that's happening concretely, physically around them is the center of focus. And yet... So maybe an inability to conceptualize the fact that I can't have that now, but I can in a little bit. That is an abstract reasoning. That is a perfect example for abstract reasoning. YZ autistics are going to have a very hard time with that. Okay. Okay. Some yeah. YZ autistics are, you know, ones that are very addicted to time. Their time management is, they, they are just like, some YZ autistic will have an easier time understanding that they can't have that now, but it's going to come from a place of wanting the structure. They have a tendency to be OCD when it comes to time. And they're going to be like, no, I can't have that now because it's not 4 p.m. yet. Only at 4 p.m. I can have my juice. If it's 3.57, I can't have my juice. So that's a different type of like, you can't have that now. Um, that a lot of some YZ autistics will, it'll resonate with them. But this idea, this idea in itself of um, postponed gratification, uh, you know, you can't have, have that now because it's this and that uh, is going to be harder for YZ autistics for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Smarty autistics usually analyze um, various abstract patterns in, in systems of knowledge. So for example, they'll um, be super familiar with various types of airplanes and what happened in this and that date and history facts. And, you know, and they basically listen and listen and learn and learn. And they build this huge tree of thought in their minds. And they yeah. to have an obsession with a particular, a particular type of body of knowledge, you know, yeah. and they just make all the connection and, you know, and you can tell if, if the, there's autistics like that in both sides, but the ones that are, um, I'll give you an example from my own family. YZ autistics, when they get heavily uh, addicted or obsessed with a, a body of knowledge, they'll just quote facts. Mm -hmm. uh, this and that day, this has happened and he was wearing a white shirt and he did that and in this airplane there's so so many seats and so on and so forth so again all the the memory and all the quoting and all the information that's being stored is concrete information a lot of numbers yeah. dates numbers yeah. smarty autistics on the other hand will understand the concept and then they'll become obsessed with the with the idea itself and they're gonna they're going to make various um, inductions, inductions with that knowledge. For example, I have a smarty autistic in my family, uh, autistic child in my family, in my expanded family. And, you know, he loves history facts and he studies and he knows Britain had so-and-so uh, billion people at this particular time. I don't know, whatever. I mean, not billion, million people. I, I, I can't re remember any of these facts. But what he does, he analyzes 
abstract patterns and comes up with various abstract reasoning facts that are completely abstract reasoning. I'll give you an example. He'll, he'll say suddenly out of the blue, he just thinks and you can tell he's thinking and suddenly you say, well, if Britain, um, if, the, if Britain had the same, uh, when Britain was ruling, and I, again, I'm paraphrasing, when Britain was ruling and had, and, and their kingdom was, was in its height, if they had the same portion, a relative portion of number of people, they would have 2 billion people in the world right now, something like that. So what he does, he takes the amount of information, the information that he had about Britain in the time where the British kingdom was thriving the most, uh -huh. and he calculates the amount of people that mm -hmm. Britain would have in relationship to the overall population of the world today. That's abstract reasoning. Does that make hmm. sense? Yeah, almost like almost like generalizing one thing to another. Yes, yes, yes. Creating induction, induction, uh -huh. uh, taking something, uh, a small piece of information and expanding it bigger making it bigger yeah. versus deduction. Uh, deduction is taking um, a, a big piece of information and making it smaller. For example, I know that uh, 357 airplanes have X amount of seats. Oh, we're going to fly. Is it a 367 because, or a 7, 7, 737? I'm sorry, see, I don't know any planes. I'm a smarty. Huh? Uh, it's a 737. It must have so-and-so seats. I'm going to count the seats. You know what I mean? So yeah. there is this, it's very concrete, very concrete. And it's deduction versus induction for the smarty. Yeah. It's kind of hard to grasp in the beginning, but the more, you know, you'll take all this information, some goes in. And as you go into your workplace and start dealing with these, with these autistics, over time, you're going to be like, smarty, wisey, smarty, wisey. Very different. Yeah. And if you want to communicate with them, you know, you can do it very differently. Um, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely, um, I find it, you know, you just have to model what they do and what they like, you know, just let them see themselves in you. Mm, and fascinating. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah and that's a good way of approaching it because then if it's a YZ, you're gonna mimic wisey behavior. If it's a smarty, yeah. you're gonna mimic, mimic smarty behavior. But I think that knowing the difference can be extremely helpful as well because you can start de detecting patterns, patterns of behavior, yeah. and it could cut the time uh, with which you can understand them and also develop various uh, ways of communication. For example, let's say you have a wisey autistic who's having a hard time understanding the difference between a question and a statement. The difference between a question and a statement is an abstract different, mm -hmm. uh, difference. When we say a question, uh, we expect an answer. And there's an intonation in the voice that tells us that it's a question, that tells us, is this a question, right? I mean, it was the same sentence, but there's, and a statement does not expect an answer. Now that's an abstract difference. It's abstract reasoning. Mm -hmm. To explain that to an 
why is he autistic can be very difficult. And, but they're very, very concrete and they thrive on things that they can see and sense. So you can do uh, play with puppets, for example. If you'll demonstrate the difference in between a question and a statement using puppets, there's a much higher chance that they'll learn because they're gonna be able to be extremely, in order to be present with what you're saying, the, the, the verbal explanation of the difference between uh, a question and, and a statement, they're gonna have a very hard time getting it because by the time you get to the end of the sentence, they'll forget what you said in the beginning. But if you're showing them puppets, there is a visceral, they're learning through the experience. There is a sensory input that is that it goes in and there's a higher chance that they'll actually remember it and the knowledge will sink in. Does that make sense? Yeah, and we use, um, you know, naturalistic teaching is, you know, with something that they're already doing and there's something that they're already engaged in and, you know, in teaching within that. Yeah. Yeah. So is it kind of similar to that too then, like something they're already, because being engaged with it and having an interest in it. Yeah. Helps I'll give learning. you another example. Um, I was working, I, I might have mentioned that in, 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 my, in my podcast, I might have not. I was working with a mother to an autistic uh, child, uh, a female child, a girl. Uh, I think she was six years old when we were doing this. And she was very good at she really loved playing the memory game with tiles. Do you know this story? Did, did you hear me tell this story? Okay. No, I haven't so, heard you know, it. You know this memory game where you have tiles, two yeah. tiles. Uh, you have to find two tiles that are similar. All tiles are uh, facing down and you flip mm -hmm. one and then you flip the other and you're supposed to find the pairs. And sometimes the, uh, the girl was uh, winning, you know, like getting, getting, getting the point and you know, winning, remembering where the ducks were. And um, sometimes the mother was winning. And, you know, they had about 50-50 of games. And I looked at her and, you know, I was kind of exploring how this child was behaving and how, she, and I knew she was a YZ autistic. And I told the mother, I want you to do something for me. I want you to, next time you set the tiles, don't set them in rows. She, was, she would organize them in rows, like literally linear, linearly. YZ autistics have a hard time with linearity. I told her, mix them all up, create a chaotic pattern. The second she did that, her child won approximately two thirds of the time. Hmm. She remembered the locations of the tiles better because she remembered in picture, in a picture hmm. where the tile was. And when everything was organized in rows, she, has, she had a hard time remembering the relative location, the orientation of the tile and so on and so forth. And so when, when it was chaotic, she had a much easier time. Now check this out. Every time her turn would begin, she would, so for example, she flips a tile and it's the ducks. Now she's looking for the pair. She's looking for the other ducks tile, right? Every time her turn will come, the first thing she would do is flip her tile of the duck that she already knows that's there. And mm -hmm. she'll be like, a duck. And then she goes to look for the other duck. Now, from, and she was still winning, mind you. 
but from a logical perspective, right? It doesn't make you know you're already nodding, right? Because yeah. <laughs> you know you increase your chances if first you're going to look for the other tile because if it's not the ducks, you don't want to flip the first one that you already know. Now go explain that to a YZ autistic. That's an abstract reasoning. That's a statement of abstract reasoning. How do you yeah. explain to a YZ autistic that it's not beneficial to flip the first tile? The second you utter these words from your mouth, she hears blah, 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 because she's not able to remember the reasoning because it's all abstract. Why can't she remember? Because this child has to translate, has to translate the words that she hears into imagery. And you mm -hmm. cannot translate imagery into imagery words that are abstract. For example, well, it's not really beneficial to flip the first tile before you found the other one. First, you have to find the other one because if not, then you can look for something else. There's too many words here that you can't translate into something visual in your mind. Right. Abstract reasoning. Abstract comes from naked of form. It's abstract. And so how do you explain to a child like that this concept of the game? Well, you have to do it in training, literally as a pattern, as a pattern of behavior, sort of like this clock thing like four o'clock you get your juice it's the same thing it's like oh we have a secret the secret is that this is this is the ducks you don't want to remind me don't remind me that this is the ducks every time you show me oh it's the ducks thanks for reminding me now i'm gonna win because next time i'm gonna use the ducks don't show me look for the other ducks first oh yes you look for the other ducks first nope you showed me the ducks again now, she doesn't understand the logic, but she starts understanding that it makes more sense to look that it's better. She gets more praise and she gets something in the game. She's starting to get that it makes more sense to look for the other ducks because if I'm opening this one first and eventually she learned how to do that, but yeah. it, it wasn't through the abstract reasoning. It was through the repetition if that makes sense. It totally does. I, that's what I do for my job, really, in a yeah. lot of ways, is, you know, slowly, they don't necessarily understand why, why they're doing it, but through praise and reinforcement, they, you know, learn, and it'll help them, help them in the world. Yeah, and why is the autistic, is smarty autistic, usually, they can actually understand the logic. They don't always want to follow it, but right. there, there is a much more uh, openness and ability to perceive the, the logic behind things. And in fact, you can actually uh, penetrate deeper if you explain the logic. And sometimes they look like they're not even listening, but they do. And then they use the logic in some other context that you didn't even realize that they were listening. And you're like, oh, wow, they were listening, you know? Interesting. That makes yeah. a lot of sense. Is that helpful? Yeah, it is. I mean, I definitely feel like I'm at the beginning of understanding all of that. Um, definitely don't have it all dialed in, but I'm very intrigued. I'm 
gonna get your book so I can read it and learn more for sure. Yeah, does it resonate in, in essence? It does. Yeah. yeah, it does because especially with that um with that game, like you're talking yeah. about, you know, through praise and oh look at you, you're doing it that other way you know, the praise and the reinforcement kind of, you know, guides their behavior into yeah. just a slightly different way that's not, it's not natural. It's not, doesn't come natural to them, but, you know, you can guide them in that direction and it ends yeah. up allowing them to understand so much more. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 It's pretty cool. They learn through the senses rather than words. Yeah. Right. And through, yeah. yeah, through action, through experience, through doing it. And, you know, sometimes they really don't want to do it. And, yeah. you know, they learn, they learn, they, they can do things they don't want to do. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, good. Do you have any other questions about the topic? Uh, the nonverbal thing. If you could touch on that for a second, you said there's a, there's a reason for yeah. it. So it really depends if it's a smarty or wisey autistic, but there's, there's the reason for the nonverbal will be a, an opposite reason. With the wisey autistics, when they're not verbal is because they're so present in time. And as I said before, the mind, not the mindness, but the mind in order to be able to think words and utter words, must travel in time. Now, it's very abstract what I'm saying, but it's essentially a YZ autistic is so present with the senses that they literally don't have enough time to think of the word and actually express it. And so whenever you try to communicate with them and they try to communicate back, there's something they want to say, but they're so busy all the time responding to the sensory input and words just literally don't come out. They don't remember them. They don't remember them. They hear them, they might know what they mean, but they don't have the ability to carry that memory in time so they can actually express it and for sure not to create sentences, okay? So there's a literally a lack of time. There's no stretching of the present moment for us to be able to, to think in order to speak. Now, Smarty autistics that are not verbal, it's for a different reason. They think the words, they know what they want to say, but they think so fast and they think so much that they get to a point that they literally can't move their mouth fast enough in order to utter the words. And so they try to speak super fast because try to speak super fast. And you'll see that at some point, if I'm gonna to try to speak super fast, eventually I'm literally not gonna have any words. And their mind works so fast that they have a dissonance between the speed with which the mouth moves and the actual thoughts that are trying to come out. By the time they're sending the words to the mouth, a whole different set of words wanna come out and they're rendered speechless. Now, the impact is the same. They're mm -hmm. both nonverbal, but it's right. coming from a whole different reason. I saw this movie once about autistic, uh, and there was a smarty autistic uh, there, and you know he was nonverbal, but you can see that he was 
thinking and that he was he was able to process language and he, the way he was speaking things that was moving so fast for him that the way he was speaking was like touching touching a, a, a pad like an ipad to type and he would be like he would be you know and like you know like everything happened so fast for him because because his mind moves so fast his perception of time is so slow everything moves so slowly that for him that is like and now this and he has to think about the word that he wants to spell again and again and again because his mind is already doing so much in the back end right yeah it's almost like it's almost like uh you know too much uh -huh. too much is trying to get out of that same hole and nothing barely comes out you know versus the wisey autistic that the the words never they, they, they never evolve in the mind because the mind never remembers them they hear the okay. vibration of the word so they understand but and it creates something in the imagination when the words are concrete but they can't build the sentence they can't build the words because they don't have the the, the mind is sometimes barely functioning and they're just present you know so i hope does that make so for a wisey it's it's more about it's a more memory issue um, and for a for smarty it's, more of a, it's just happening so fast the mind is going so fast that words don't feel adequate or that they'll be able to even express what the mind is doing i can express the difference in the nonverbal communication between wiseys and smarties in the terms of memory with wisey autistics it's a mem it's a verbal memory issue it's mm -hmm. The fact that by the time they want they they're trying to say the words they're already forgetting it or by the time they're trying to say the second word they'll already forget the first one or they won't even forget how the word is said they just know that they want to say something they feel the feeling the vibration of the word because they know what they want to say but for the word to come they need enough time their mind needs to to to, to slow to uh, time needs to slow down that they can actually remember the word. And for these type of autistics, usually sativa dominant strains would do the trick, right? Just like that girl that we were talking about. With smarty autistics, it's a muscle memory issue. They literally don't remember the muscle action because they're so here and not physically in the body. They literally haven't evolved the muscle memory in order to form the ability to speak. Because even speaking, just like walking, is essentially muscle memory. Speaking as well, I'm not thinking about what I want to say, I'm just saying it. And the mouth just does it. It's muscle memory. So here and here, it's a memory issue. But here, it's a, it's a thinking mind memory issue with the YZ autistics. And with the smarty autistic, it's the, the memory of, of the muscle movement. And so, yeah, exactly like you said. They're thinking it, they, they, they want to say it, but by the time the muscles respond, their mind is already sending a different command to say something else. Because in their mind, it's not that three seconds have passed. Their time is stretched so, so wide mm -hmm. that 
they just not enough time that the body the, the body can't function like that right because it cannot respond fast enough to what's going on in their mind there's a dissonance between it. for those autistics indica based strains a little bit thc would would what we would do would slow the mind down and therefore they have more access to the uh to, to reality, to, to concrete reality, they have more time to control their muscles. And I've actually personally worked with a couple of um, uh, Asperger, you know, edge of the autistic spectrum in order to develop physical, uh, you know, their, their uh, more acute physical perception, you know, how access their body um, mm -hmm. and, Indica strains were very, very helpful. So interesting. Didn't yeah. you say that Indica gives you anxiety? Sometimes. Didn't I, yeah. didn't yeah. I hear you say that? Yeah. Um, How does that work? It's just not that simple. <laughs> um, when I smoke so your logic, it seems like for you, if you're a smarty, then Indica should slow your mind down. Yeah. You know, it's a great question. And I, I'm gonna to try to be brief because the topic of anxiety is a huge topic, right? Okay. Although it's very important to autism because both smarty autistics and wisey autistics suffer from anxiety, um, uh -huh. but it's a different kind of anxiety. The smarty anxiety is based on a particular abstract idea that is dominating. Um, and something that they don't want to have happened or want to happen and they're afraid is not going to happen, right? Um, I'm going to think of an example. I'm having a little bit, I'm, I'm drawing a little bit of blank right now. I think I'm getting it's a little getting late tired for you. It's <laughs> almost 11 p.m. here in Israel. But um, what happens to me when I smoke Indica is my ability to do abstract reasoning is diminishing. And I literally forget the big picture. I forget that, uh, I'll give you an example. Uh, I'll be in the woods with my dogs and I'll smoke a sativa, uh, an indigo joint. And let's say one of my dogs, you know, saw a deer and ran and disappeared. And I get stressed and suddenly I'm starting to have an anxiety attack. I know my dog is not good with other dogs. Now when she's with me, she's okay. And she happened to be off leash and now she ran. And even though nobody else is in the park, what if she meets another dog and attacks that dog, right? Mm -hmm. And if I smoked indica and something like that happens, suddenly I can have an anxiety attack. And what happens during that anxiety attack is that I forget the big picture. I forget that uh, the woods are big and the chances of her running into a different another dog is very slim. I forget, notice the fact that I forget. I forget that um, she, she's still young and she can hear my voice. And every time she got lost in the past, she actually found her way towards me. Uh, and you know, it was okay. I forget that the chances of something bad happens are very slim. And in my mind, that possibility of something bad happens becomes so real mm -hmm. and so intense 
I literally forget the reasoning why it shouldn't be the case. And I start living that scenario, that scenario only. And I start to sense, to sense, literally feel, literally sense. I become super present with that possibility. That possibility from my perspective is 99% is gonna happen and I freak mm -hmm. out. Mm -hmm. And then my imagination is running wild. My mind does not have enough time. Imagination is the mindness, not the mind. Mm -hmm. Notice the imagination is always present in time. If I'll tell you um, turtle, most people immediately, did you see a turtle in your mind's eye when I say turtle? I don't know. I don't, I don't know about my visualization. I don't okay, feel like I'm very visually. I mean, I, me. yeah. I definitely have a concept of a turtle in my, but not like a. An image. Yeah, you might be an aphantasiac. That's something interesting to talk about some other time. But uh, most people either see a turtle or sense a turtle. You probably sensed a yeah. turtle. Yeah. Yeah. Notice that the sensing of the turtle, most people to see a turtle, happened involuntary and was instant. Mm -hmm. if a split second later, you're no longer imagining a turtle, whether right. visually or not, you're no longer imagining a turtle. And in that moment, when I have anxiety, the imagination is just literally creating the experience of my dog biting another dog or my dog is being attacked by a pack of wolves or my whatever fear I have in that moment. And yeah. it's the uh, disabling of my, my abstract reasoning that is preventing me from being calm and knowing, no, 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 most likely this is not the case. Right. So I hope that that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. You lose sight of the big picture. So you can't really talk yourself off the ledge. So to speak. yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, exactly. That makes you become sense. myopically involved in something so visceral, so uh, uh, concrete that you forget any other aspect of reality. And from mm -hmm. your perspective, it happened already. And you, you know, you start breaking out. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I get that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I'm, I'm interested to try different. I really have not smoked a lot of indica at all. Um, I typically avoid it. I don't know why. Probably because I want to be um, productive uh -huh. in the past. But, um, but I'm yeah, I'm interested to see how the different strains affect me, which. I've heard it's kind of hard to tell if it's truly an indica or a sativa. Yeah. Especially in Washington. I, I heard that they they label them just based on people smoking them and you know subjectively saying what they think it is. It's wild west. It's wild west. It's a, a great topic for a different episode because the whole sativa versus indica it's a it's one big mess. There's a lot of um, uh, research basically claiming that there's no difference between the two. There's only right. strains that make you more awake, make your mind more awake, and make your mind more sleepy. But all these assumptions are based on, you know, they're basically thinking there's only one mind. 
but it doesn't work this way. There's two minds. There's mind that creates thought and there's mind that creates imagination, which is the mindness. And when you mm -hmm. separate the two, the entire experience gets a whole different perspective. And then mm -hmm. you start realizing, look, until we have a different definition for strains that are giving you head high versus strains that are giving you body high, I'm sorry, but the concept of Indiga and Sativa still exists. Ask a hundred people, if they prefer sativa or indica, just like you, they'll tell you immediately. So yeah. does indica and sativa really exist? Sure it does, sure. Yeah. Because they'll immediately tell you if it's an indica or sativa. Yeah. And it's wild west out there because some companies will mark sativa or indica based on the smell, some based on the terpenes, some based on uh, the, the particular mother strains that this plant was breeded from. Mm -hmm. everybody's doing it differently. I'm going to give you a very specific way to know if it's sativa or indica. Okay. If it's sativa dominant strains, you're going to be able to think about what you're thinking. That is, you're going to be able to think and then ask yourself, what was I thinking on? You're going to be able to retract what just happened in your mind. You're going to be able to think about thinking. There is no more abstract reasoning than thinking about thinking. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, with indica, and even you laughing, you know, tells me that you understood what I just said. Yeah. Smoke indica-based strains, strong indica-based strains. You, people who are by default in that particular conscious polarity, or people, if you smoke indica-based strains, what I just said wouldn't make sense because by the time I get to the end of the sentence, they wouldn't remember the beginning of the sentence. And so with indica-based strains, you can't think about thinking. You're right. trying to, but you, you're like, can I, can, can I think about thinking? I, I, I don't know. I'm having a hard time to think about the fact whether I can think about thinking. You're literally going to have a hard time hearing, hearing your mm -hmm. inner thought, your mm -hmm. inner dialogue. When mm -hmm. I smoke heavy uh, indica strains, I become mentally deaf. I cannot recall, I cannot replay inner dialogue. I don't hear myself thinking anymore. I simply am, I simply experience it. And of course, it's with different level of you know, impact, but indica-based strains would do exactly that. And so that's the best way of knowing whether you're smoking indica or sativa. Okay. Um, now with some pe people, it's flipped. Sativa-based strains are going to do what I just described Indiga does, but it's rare. It's very rare. Interesting. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Geek <laughs> out on it all the time. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One of my favorite activities is to have somebody come to my house right here on this board, and I clean the board, and I write their name on top, and we'll both smoke, and then I'll show them what happens in their mind as they smoke. For example, just a couple of weeks ago, um, somebody was here and she wanted to, uh, to try to smoke and I'll tell her what happened in her mind. And so she smoked. I actually didn't smoke with her that day because, uh, you know, I didn't want to smoke. And, you know, she's very visual. And I told her, I said, strawberries. Do you see strawberries in your mind's eye? And she's like, no. Oh my God. She started freaking out. She's like, I'm trying to imagine strawberries, to actually see strawberries, and I can't. 
And she was like, oh my God, what if I lost my ability to see in my imagination? I was like, relax, it's just the sativa. With most people, not all, but most people, when they smoke heavy sativa, sativa strains, they lose the ability to imagine visually. They become what me and you are by default. We don't see it in our mind's eye. I can tell you I'm 100% mentally blind. And even when I smoke indica, I see nothing in my mind's eye. And so it's interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah, that is interesting. I, yeah, I don't remember how I figured it out, but I definitely, I don't remember what made me, what clued me in but I was listening to a podcast or something where they were talking about visualization. I was like, yeah, I don't, I don't think I really have that. There's like a sense I can sense it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's not a specific picture at all. Can you see anything? Can you imagine a, a red square? Visually. Visually. Not, I know. I mean, I don't know. I mean, I can sense something, but it's hard for me to know because I don't know what it feels like to actually like literally see it. Yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. I can I sense it. When, I, I bet that when you remember conversations with people, you don't remember their faces or what they were, but you can tell me exactly the angle, the geometric angle with which you stood in front of them. Am I right? I, yeah, yeah. Often, like if three days from now somebody said, "Does Eras wear glasses?" I'd probably feel I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. But I, I find myself um, being able to remember through emotion more. Uh, I can. What, what about how I felt? Yeah, how you felt. Yes. Yeah. What about geo geometry? Like uh, uh, that can spark my memory. The, the literally the angle with which you were standing in front of them in that conversation. Try to come up with a conversation you had a few days ago with someone. Yeah. Yeah, I would never be able to remember what she was wearing, but yeah, I can rem remember where she was standing and where relationship I was standing. relationship to you. And again, yeah. you remember it in the dark, you know, the angle you could, mm -hmm. if you had like little dolls, you could position the angle with which you were standing, but you can't remember anything you saw. Yeah. Yeah, probably. Oh, congratulations, my friend. You're an aphantasiac. Oh. You're blind in your mind's eye. It's a horrible oh. word. It should be changed uh, <laughs> because it suggests that we cannot fantasize. A means no. Aphantasia means no fantasy, which is bullshit because we imagine oh. just fine. We just do it in the dark. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing, you know, people keep asking me, well, what do you visualize for your future? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Where do you see yourself? Yeah. I don't they use know. Words because they assume that everybody can see in their mind's eye and it's not. Five to 6% of the population are like me and you. Oh, do you, wow. you see in your dreams? Again, I don't, I don't know. It's more of the sensing and the feeling. I can feel for sure. It feels absolutely real, like it's actually happening. And like ideas and concepts. Yes. 
But no, I would never say, oh, I had a dream and there was this bright green tree that had all this. Yeah. No. Yeah, you're an aphantasiac. You're blind in your mind's eye. Hmm. Welcome. Interesting. Well, I'll probably yeah. need to know more about that yeah. at some point. <laughs> so for example, when you play chess, do you play chess? I just started to learn how, but I haven't played it a lot, but I want to. If you'll play chess, you'll notice that you can't visualize more than two steps ahead, two, three steps ahead. Because yeah. you don't have a visual of the board game in your mind. People who are very good in chess usually visualize the moves in their mind. And that's mm -hmm. how they calculate whether a move is a good move. We can't yeah. do that. Same okay. thing with, with spelling. A lot of people who are aphantasiacs have a hard time spelling because they can't remember what the word looks like. Yeah, yeah, I, that sometimes for sure. And a lot of people who are aphantasiac, when they go to work and they meet new people and you know after lunch, the people come back and they don't sit in the same place, we have a hard time matching names to faces because the only way for us to remember is by the angle where people were sitting next to us because we don't freaking remember their faces. Hmm. I don't think I've ever really considered myself having a hard time with faces, but names for sure. I have a Just, really hard time with names. How do you remember faces? I don't know. I and mean, the I... energy of the face probably. Yes. But not the feet. I can see, yes, I feel like when I see um, like little ki kids, for example, when I know both of the parents, yeah. I feel like I can see both of the parents in the child. Yes. But not as, but I have a hard time saying which part. It's more of like I can see like their essence almost. Yeah. yeah. But exactly. I'm, I'm, I feel I like I really yeah, exactly what you mean. Yeah, you're yeah. absolutely 100% a smarty, not a wisey. Okay. And I think I think that you're a smart smarty as opposed to a wise smarty because they're smart smarties and wise smarties, just like they're smart wiseys and wise wiseys. And the difference between all these is in the way their uh, imagination functions. But we're not going to go into it right now. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I'll have yeah. to get your book. I, I can also imagine that when you uh, play music in your mind's ear, you can play the music, but you can only hear the melody and not the harmony. I don't know a lot about music. Yeah, that makes so sense. So I don't really know what you mean by harmony. Uh, well, think of, of, of a song that you like, that you know, like a famous song. Do you know uh, Beat It by Michael Jackson, for example? Yeah. Okay, so replay it in your mind right now. Can you hear Michael Jackson singing in your mind? Yeah. Now, yeah. you hear it, but I can only imagine that you hear it in silence. Am I correct? Hear it in silence. I don't know if I know what you mean by that. Try to increase the volume with which Michael Jackson is singing in your mind's ear. Oh, no. Can't do that, right? It's almost no. like a flat track 
and you can't really change the volume, it's almost as if you're hearing Michael Jackson sings, but from a super, super long distance. You only uh -huh. hear the echo of him singing. You literally hear him sing in silence. Yeah, so other people can make it seem louder? Not only that, not only they can make it hear louder, try to listen to the, to the instruments in Beat It or any other song you'll notice that you can only hear an instrument or Michael Jackson singing, but not both. And more than that, you can't hear multiple instruments at the same time. You can only hear one instrument at the time. You can hear the melody, not the harmony. Harmony is multiple um, tracks of that auditory experience all joining into one harmony. And so for example, there's people who can literally play the entire set of uh, instruments in their mind, and they can add an instrument. They can listen to, for example, well, Michael Jackson beat it is a different, it's not a great example for that, but they'll listen to, to the song and they can add a saxophone to it, or they can remove the, uh, uh, the piano because they can hear the harmony of all instruments and they remember them all. And they can actually literally take one out and add one in and change volume of one. It's like they hear something. <laughs> no way. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. No way. It's be, yeah. Your mental polarization does not allow you to do that. It's no. from birth. It's from birth. Huh. It has to do with your um, birth polarization. And you're like me. You're in the same, same polarity as I am, which is the that polarity over there at the top it's the smart okay. parties hmm. very interesting it's fascinating everybody's mind is different yeah yes there's a pattern sure. <laughs> yeah, there's a pattern well, cool. all right my dear it's time for us to yes. say goodbye okay thank you for analyzing my mind <laughs> thank you for analyzing my mind Oh, you're welcome. I, 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 I can do more. I can tell you more things about your mind that you might have not noticed. Isn't it yeah. amazing? You're the only one who has access to your mind and you were sitting with someone who just told you things about your mind that you didn't even know because you never realized that with other people, it's different. It's right. fascinating. It is. And once we start seeing the pattern, we realize how other people think and then you, you'll realize that so for example all the yz autistics they see visually they're so visual in fact they cannot reason without seeing something visually that's why they don't have access to abstract reasoning because abstract reasoning is done blindly and that's why visuals are so helpful for them exactly interesting exactly. it's this knowledge is revolutionary thank you I got to order your book. I'll do that right now. <laughs> Thank you. You'll be the one. <laughs> you know yeah. that joke about the guy who walks in the street and somebody stops and says, oh my God, you're so-and-so. Uh, I read your book. He's like, oh, you were the one. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> it yeah. was you. <laughs> I'll, show you. I'll show you what it looks like so that you were... Um, it looks like this. It's called It's About Time. Okay. And... Yeah, and it's on Amazon, so yeah. Awesome. All righty. 
Well, well thank Lacey, you. thank you so much for your curiosity, for your interest. Uh, mm -hmm. Thank you for sharing your process in Consciously High, uh, mm -hmm. your cannabis journey. I would love to hear from you in a few weeks after you've reintroduced cannabis in your life, into your life, if you have, maybe you won't. Okay. I'm sure at some point you will, but I would love to hear how it goes and what changed for you in terms of when you do reintegrate it into your life, what changed and okay. whether your, uh, the contract that you did with yourself has worked. Sometimes we have to change it and it's okay because sometimes we, we, don't, we realize that we didn't really think about other things or occasions or allowed ourselves more freedom or less freedom. And so pay attention to that. And I'd love to hear from you again. Um, and I want to stay in touch. Um, All right. Yeah, you too. Yeah. Sounds good. Yeah. Um, for people who are interested in what I do and want to, um, to know about articles I publish or episodes in various podcasts and YouTubes that I do, basically to have constant access to know about content I produce. The only way to get notified, because um, I have a lot of different podcasts and things that are happening. Um, the only way to know, um, to get a notification every time is to uh, enroll on Patreon. Uh, there is a, um, it's called Creorg University. And for $3 a month, you get notified with every piece of content that I produce. Um, and, you know, over time, I kind of teach that way. Uh, so I just got to mention that um, for people who want to learn more about Creorg Institute, uh, just go to creorginstitute.com, it's not.com, just creorg.institute. Um, the Consciously High program is available on weedoutthehabit.com. Um, and what else? Oh, and if you want to uh, subscribe to my YouTube channel, which is also a way to get uh, information because even the podcasts I usually put on YouTube, then just go to creorg.tv. So I want to thank you, Lacey, for being here today, for your presence, for your smile, for your curiosity. And I want to thank everybody who is listening um, to this podcast and uh, smoke responsibly.